Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Proudly brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au Hi everyone, welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson with thanks to our very good friends at Cheese Links. How are you, Sarah Patterson? Well, it's lockdown and you know what that means. I've been in lockdown eating mode, so I think I've actually padded out quite nicely with uh, <laughs> with serves of uh, Wilma's famous chocolate pudding. Okay, while I'm in the confessional, <laughs> yeah. uh, there were some scones, there was some cream, there was some boysenberry jam and I ate it. That's okay. We've all been there. We're all doing it. And I, feel, yeah. I have to say, I reckon uh, this lockdown four for Victorians who are listening to this, and we have a wide audience, let me tell you, in various parts of the world, hello to all the Americans listening yeah. to this, um, uh, lockdown four, this has flattened people much more than any of the others. I agree. And we do just sort of automatically turn into bears going into hibernation mode, don't we, Is that when it comes it to food? Well, that's I'm what it feels you. like. <laughs> Another picnic basket over here. Yosemite <laughs> National Park. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing that I have been having a little nibble of late at oh, night. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Cheese. Oh, well, why have, wouldn't you? I've been having a little, little, you know, bit of cheese here and there. And I should actually use that time, my time that I have, I should use more <laughs> diligently and make my own cheese. <laughs> and then how I, do we do that, Kevin? Then I probably wouldn't eat as much. How do we make our own cheese? You phone Janet at Cheese Funny you should and ask. say, hello, Janet, how are you going? Aren't the demons going well? <laughs> say that well, they the, are. Say that in the conversation with Janet. That'll win her over straight yep. away. Uh, and the number to call is 52821984. Get her to set you up with some cheese-making equipment that you yep. can uh, use in your very own kitchen. Very satisfying pursuit is making your own cheese. Halloumi. Halloumi. Yes, all sorts of whatever it is. Or a big uh, block you know, of parmesan. From the bottom uh, from the bottom and easiest right up to the top of the range you can do. The higher echelons, which I have achieved. Kevin's still working his way there. 52821984. That is very true. Uh, our guest today is a recently ejected member of the MasterChef world. Well, he's been uh, described variously as the uh, the breakout star oh, of this yeah. current MasterChef uh, series. And, uh, gosh, he's a really really engaging young man. He's very colourful and he's a bit of a live wire. He has a look that uh, you will not forget (laughs) and uh, he has a name that you won't forget Uh, and he has uh, obviously a lot of skills in the the culinary area. Talking about Connor Curran. Yes. Which sounds like he should be playing on the halfback flank for the Irish Rugby (laughs) Union team or something. Um, Not so at all. No. Uh, So we're going to meet him uh, in just a tick and uh, and go through his journey on uh, on MasterChef, which is in its 13th season and is winging its way in the episodes of Going to Earth at the moment, uh, around the uh, the coastline of Victoria. Yeah, a long time ago since uh, Julie Goodwin's uh, debut, you know, season. Yeah. yeah. So joining the uh, the alumni of uh, former MasterChef contestants who've joined us on this program is Connor Curran. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello, Connor. Thanks for joining us on Food Bites. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Kevin. How are you going? I'm well, <laughs> thank you. And Sarah's with me as well. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Lovely to have you, uh, Connor. And um, look, from the previous MasterChef contestants we've spoken to on this podcast, I think they all say the same thing, having uh, come out of the show. It's a pretty intense experience, and I'm sure that rings true for you. Uh, yes. Uh, I I feel like that was the longest six months of my life, <laughs> um, all up, but it was totally worth it, I think. The best thing about doing TV, a TV show like this, you get to uh, put all your energy and hard work and then just enjoy it after. 
Um, and that's been the nice part, watching how well I was able to do. Is it as, as intense as you expected it to be? Well, I didn't expect to get in, Sarah. So I, was, <laughs> um, I kind of went in. If you see me at the start of the show, I'm very like, oh, my God, Blase, this is hilarious, how much fun. And over time, I just started becoming quite humbled by how incredible it was that I was there. Um, and I think that's when the intensity kicked in because I was like, you know, I'm really competing with the best in Australia cooking. Hey, I've read a couple of things where your relationship with the judges, I mean, it's obviously very critical and it's obviously very intense and it's very uh, an interpersonal space that they sort of invade of yours. How did you get on with the three of them? I was very, I was very lucky. I, um, I think all three of them had a very different impact that just as important. Um, I, if you read articles, I obviously say like Jock to me going in as a hospitality person was like the pinnacle, um, just what he's done in his restaurant and everything about him. And I thought he hated me for the longest time. And over time I realized how much he loved what I was doing and how passionate about what I was doing. I think when stuff like that's happening from the judges that they care about what you're cooking, it's an insane feeling for someone who's just been cooking so quickly and you want to do them proud essentially. And that's post MasterChef as well. Uh. Yeah, Connor, you've obviously got a, a, a long um, background in uh, in hospitality, so you're no stranger to that and to cooking and to restaurant life. But uh, but TV yeah. life, being in front of the camera, you seem pretty natural and you have been <laughs> described as the breakout star of this series. So is that your happy place in front of the camera? So it's really funny. I, I, I think from the start you can see there's, you can't really hide who you are after two days. So I was just trying to be authentically myself and enjoy the experience. And I think working front of house for so long, I'm generally watched at my work every single day. So being watched by others didn't feel weird as much as it did to the other guys, I think. And so, you know, and I also like myself. I'm like, <laughs> I spent a long time learning to love myself and who I am. So I wasn't scared for everyone else to find out. And I think you can see that on screen. Um, ice cream was your downfall. It's mine as well, but in a different, in a totally different way, Connor. Um, and particularly during lockdown. Uh, so, where, where, what, what sort of cooking? I mean, uh, well, you talked about the Greek, uh, you know, your, your heritage there, and 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 what you grew up mm. eating. Um, so, yep. what do you, what do you, what do you want to cook when you, you know, when you're out and about and you've got your shop going or your your bar going? What, what are you gonna, what are you gonna serve to people? Yeah, it's funny. I went in practicing Japanese and Vietnamese food and I got there and for some reason the judges were just like can you do simple modern Greek I was like I never have but I'll, I'll try and I fell in love with my cuisine and my like culture all over again doing the show and so that has really transcended I think I was quite lucky because I proved that I could do desserts and savory and I think when I do open something, it will be very minimalistic, modern Mediterranean style food. And I think um, it has, it's not really being done in Melbourne right now. And it's a really, it's a, a niche spot that kind of needs to be done. It's funny, Connor, because you clearly like mixing um, sort of like Southeast Asian ingredients with, uh, with, with Greek food, which most people would call fusion, but you would call confusion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah um, and if you yeah and you see me steer away from that as time goes on I think with uh, the idea of fusion you have to be really quite skilled as a chef to be able to nail it and I think the judges are really great to explain to us you really have to get the basics down before you can start venturing down that path and luckily my food simplified as time went on and became more delicious because of that reason tell us about the inspiration of your grandma 
oh yeah, my yeah, she is. Um, she she will openly state I'm her favorite grandchild. So you can only imagine <laughs> the relationship the two of us have. Um, she's amazing. She pretty much raised me because my parents were working full time growing up, and just everything she does. She was born in Greece. She lives in a village of like a hundred people. You know, the same idea came over on, on a ship to like make a better life for herself. And, you know, she still has that old school Greek mentality ingrained with her, but you know, she has a queer grandchild and she's the most supportive as well. So she's a great example of like how people can grow over time. And yeah, she means a lot to me. Oh, that's a, that's a lovely. So what sort of stuff were you, what did you grow up eating? What were you eating as a kid? Oh my god, I was a fat <laughs> child, mate. Um, it was uh, probably feta, a lot of olives, a lot of bread, like very like um, snacky kind of charcuterie stuff was always on the table. Um, and she always did like a pasta or a stew. There was yeah, very very wintry meals. Um, but yeah, fat child, and mo- mainly because of her. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> kind oh of my t- god, yeah. Tell us about your uh, connection with plants. You love your plants. I do like my plants, yeah. Um, I think, uh, especially over lockdown in Melbourne, if anyone does them, you go a bit uh, crazy. And I just started collecting indoor plants by the bucket load and getting a lot, my own herb garden. Because I working in hospital, I was working so many hours. I never had time to actually care about my house and what was inside of it. And when you can't go speak to people, you start bringing in as many living things as you can. So I think it's just a, a hangover effect of being locked in a house for four months. <laughs> well, it's a perfect uh, sort of setup for being in the MasterChef kitchen because you kind of get locked up there a bit, don't you? Yeah, you do, absolutely. I think mentally I was really uh, good with it because we do film in Melbourne, so I had to tell myself that my family wasn't just down the road. Mm. Um, it, it's a weird feeling, but once you're in that bubble, you don't want to leave anyway. So, it's yeah, it's bittersweet, but it, it makes sense when you're there why they do it that way. One of the things that uh, that everyone loves about the show is that it's a competitive show, but it's not a bitchy show. Did you actually enjoy the the camaraderie of the other the contestants that you, that you were cooking off against? Yeah, I think every MasterChef contestant always says the best part about the show is the people you meet, um, and it's it's so true. There's, I didn't view it as a competition, and I think when I got eliminated, that was the first day it felt competitive, and I didn't enjoy that aspect of it. And we all sign up for this, so we're all aware, but. When someone goes home, it's it's just sad, you know, mm. and we've obviously finished filming and, you know, the amount of time we spend with each other post-show now is insane. We've just met 23 other foodies who love cooking and are in this same bubble as you and only get it like you, so it's pretty incredible. I think you uh, you were quoted as saying something along the lines in your exit uh, interview uh, of that um, you don't mind, you wouldn't mind as a contestant if you screw yourself over, so to speak, but if it ends up screwing someone else over or the impact has a ripple effect mm-hmm. on another contestant, you would find that really hard. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big reason why I got eliminated because I put Amir into that next elimination off mm-hmm. my dish and it broke my heart because you, I, I, I really don't care what I do to myself. Like you put yourself in that position, but obviously team challenges are a big part of it. And if Amir goes, if I trust you and I trust your dish and you let that person down, it's very hard to come back from that. So what have you learnt out of the MasterChef experience, oh. both about yourself and about yourself as a cook? Oh, mate, I have, I feel like I went to school for life in that competition. Honestly, I, I, I'm, I think watching myself back, I'm really proud of the person I became. Um, and I, I'll always have that forever. I also learned that I can cook. You know, I went in so fresh against these experienced guys who'd 
been cooking at home for years and I cook it to all of them. And, you know, you can see me in the comeback week cook. I, I feel like I finally got there. And to have that kind of closure that you can cook and you should be pursuing this dream, the self-belief alone was worth it. <laughs> Let's step outside the MasterChef uh, kitchen because you are a Victorian and being a Victorian, you know, we're lucky enough to, uh, to be, I guess, in the coffee uh, capital of Australia. Are you a coffee drinker? I'm currently drinking coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, it is early. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I am a deep coffee drinker. Um, I'm really bad, though, because when I went to Europe, I traveled Europe for months on end, and I couldn't find good coffee a lot of the places. So I started drinking instant coffee. <laughs> and so it's disgusting that I have an instant <laughs> coffee every morning before I go and get my coffee and support a local later in the day. But I don't know. I can't do anything until I have my coffee. And I think it is a Melbourneian thing. I love that kind of, because so many people we ask, if um, instant is the only kind of coffee that's available, will they have it? And nine out of 10 would probably say no, but I think that is terrific because if instant's the only thing available, I will have it too, if, just to tide me over till I get the real thing. <laughs> Exactly, nah, yeah. Nah, I'm, a co- I'm a coffee snob, bugger that. I'm not <laughs> drinking that stuff. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think, I think people forget, like, hosto and chefs are just not snobs at all. Like, what we drink and eat, like, we might create the most beautiful thing, but when it comes to ourselves, like, I'm generally having a wrap with Rocket and, like, bought tzatziki in it at lunch. Like, we get very lazy when it comes to ourselves. Yeah, it's a very, very, very good point. What do you want to do with this? Uh, I, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's almost an open checkbook you get when you walk out of MasterChef with what you can do with what you you take out of the kitchen and take out of the experience of the television. What do you want to do with it all? Um, a lot. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot I want to get at. I'm currently running a sandwich shop because I want to open my own sandwich shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's point one and getting my little sandwich shop bar going um, in the next few years. I'm also writing a Greek cookbook right now, um, a little modern one, something that's never been done before. Um, and then I also want to create videos and content. You know, I am a young person who does really accessible food and I want other people to see that. Um, so you, those are the three things I'm focusing currently on. Tell us about the uh, the bar and the uh, and the sandwich shop and the names and the and the story behind that. I love. Uh, we both love it. We just think that's a fabulous thing to do. Yeah, definitely. So it's named after my mum and dad. So it'd be shut up. Uh, sorry, sit down, Dora, at the front uh, with no seats. It's just uh, a front uh, selling sandwiches, as very like Mediterranean deli style sandwiches, with a little hidden nook uh, behind it where we do modern plates and uh, drinks called Shut Up Mike after my father. <laughs> Renee for a restaurant or an eatery, I think I've ever heard. Very original. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, yeah, I think uh, all the years in hospital, you have a lot of time to think of what would I do. Oh, and there's no, and there's no doubt that you talk about memorable names. So people would remember those names, uh, you know, much better than sort of you know Smith's Deli or you know Curran's, yeah. even Curran's Deli, if you want to call that. <laughs> hey, tell us about tell us about the earrings and uh, where where that sort of started and came from and how that how that developed. And there's a, a special little link with the show as well with the earrings. Oh my God, no. I, it's so funny. Earrings have just always been my thing. I, um, when I was growing up, I, when I came out as gay, I was hell-bent on getting my gay, there's a gay ear that you get pierced. Right. And I was like, you know, 
when you come out, you're like, I'm just going to do it all. And um, <laughs> I went and got the wrong ear pierce. Is that the other <laughs> side that's meant to do it on? Um, <laughs> um, so young 19-year-old Connor went and got the wrong ear pierce. And it's really funny. Over time, I've just always worn an earring. And all my girlfriends would always lose one on a night out. Yep. So I just started collecting this one earring over time. I have a huge collection now. <laughs> and when I went to the show, I only brought five because I thought I'd only last a week and I kept <gasps> staying longer and longer. So I just keep running out. And it wasn't meant to ever be a thing because my earrings are quite small and I completely, I've i never watched a show before. So now wearing earrings, I was like, oh, cool, nice. And then everyone at home, it was just huge. And I was like, might have to bring out a collection at this point. That's a wonderful story. And yes, Mel's earrings are very much oh, like yeah. chandeliers, Jeez. aren't they? Well, speaking about uh, earrings, let's move to your uh, to your haircut because it's unique to say the least. And I promised a friend of mine I would ask you about, is there an inspiration behind your hair? Oh, there's a lot of things that happened on the hangover of lockdown. Um, <laughs> the mullet was one of them. Uh, we obviously had no hairdressers and I was like, <laughs> I said to my mate, I was like, shall I just grow one? You know, no one's going to see me. You know, I'm at home. No one's seeing me. She's like, yeah, it's the perfect time to do a mullet. And then I remember getting onto the show and they go, well, you can't cut your hair now contractually, but you need to look the same. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to have a mullet the whole time. They're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh no, this is a good So that's essentially how the mullet stayed and, I now am scared to lose it because I think everyone will be more heartbroken about it than I will. <laughs> You're absolutely rocking it. Yeah. And Kevin is very experienced with the uh, 80s well, mullet, haven't and, you? And those photos of that mullet are going to come back to haunt you. But there's photos of me in the 80s with a, with a permed <laughs> mullet that keep coming back and bobbing up everywhere. You, you'll, you'll never live it down. You'll, you'll love it love it for the moment, but be, expect, to still be, uh, expect to still be explaining it to people in 25 years' time. Oh, Kevin, I'll get a perm just to really nail it over. <laughs> no, please don't, Connor. Please don't. <laughs> um, oh, if, if, if you had to sum the, the MasterChef experience up for someone who was thinking about, you know, going into the into the show, what would what would you what would your advice be to them? Um, yeah, summing up in one word would be humbling. If anyone that does it, you have to realize it's we, you guys get to watch us, but we get to watch one of the most professional like production teams I've ever seen in my life. And a group of people that do become your family. If you're into food, even if you're not good at cooking yet, like even I wasn't there yet, you learn at such pace. And if you are creative and you can create a dish and you love food, it's, you need to go. You, yeah. you just need to do it. It's, there's no words for it and every other person will speak the same way about it and there's nothing you can lose by applying really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Connor, I'm going to put you on the spot but we do this to all our our guests. Um, Oh, great. If you were holding a (laughs) dinner party and obviously you could hold a pretty darn good one and you could invite (laughs) any guest you like, dead or alive, um, to be at your dinner table, who'd be on your guest list? I'm actually, I've actually had this question a fair few times, and I'm going to stick to the um, the guest list I've said. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be um, Bimini Von Bullash, who is a drag queen from London, a non-binary <laughs> drag queen. Yeah. Um, it would be Andrew Scott, who is a beautiful gay British actor. Um, we also have India Moore, who is a trans activist. Um, she's beautiful. She's on Pose. Um, Yodam Odalengi, obviously, <laughs> incredible queer chef. And uh, Melissa Leong, who is just, such a beautiful person, and I think she would be a great time. Yeah, that's a that's a very eclectic bunch of people, but that'd be a great dinner party. <laughs> oh, mate, conversations would be had. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Connor, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us on Food Bites. Really appreciate it. Been terrific watching you on MasterChef, and uh, we, we, we're intrigued and, uh, and excited by what the future, obviously, as you are. Thank you so much, Kevin and Sarah. It's actually been beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. These chats honestly mean the world to me. You are listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier, brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au There you go. That was a lot the of mullet, fun. The mullet rules. What a great story. We're contractually lives. obliged to keep the mullet that he decided to do himself in lockdown. I love that story. I wonder story. in retrospect if any of the radio <laughs> stations I work for would have said, Kev, we're going to sack you if you don't get rid of the mullet. Oh, when or I first met mullet, you, that was that was the first thing I noticed was your mullet. It's hard not to notice. The Friday food poll <laughs> Moving right this along. week is, is not mullet or no mullet. Uh, well, it's, it's keep it, warm food. It is, in fact, it, yeah, it is. It's hibernation food. I don't know. Is a little bit bogan, I don't know, but it, baked bean uh, toasted Sangers versus tin spaghetti toasted Sangers. Oh. I remember having those after we came back from uh, netball games and just feeling like um, you've been fulfilled. And it was the old sandwich makers that you do yeah, the jaffles in. the square one and or the, the breville yeah, triangle yeah. one. And the corners would get really hard yeah. and that was the best part of it for me. I used to break a, uh, an egg into yeah. the, the oh. sunbeam jaff, jaffle toaster and then put a bit of bacon on top and then we had the square one. I don't yeah, know which yeah, yeah. one you had or yeah. the one that cut into triangles. We're the one that cut into triangles. Yeah. That was, anyway, that was we put those up against okay. each other. All right, off you go. Kay loves spaghetti jaffles. There you go. Kay uh, also, another Kay says baked bean jaffle. Uh, Cheryl says none. <laughs> Silvana, don't like baked beans and my spaghetti has to be on a plate. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Diane says uh, I had never eaten tinned spaghetti until I went to New Zealand in 1957. We had spaghetti sandwiches at a cafe in Auckland. I've still got, I've got a tin of spaghetti with a 1957 uh, <laughs> label on it. Marilyn says uh, I was brought up on tinned spaghetti. I never knew what uh, spaghetti bolognese was. Rachel says neither. Tim says either. Terry mm. says, both okay, but if I was choosing right now, I'd probably go the spaghetti. Yeah. Charlene says, spaghetti for me, loathe baked beans. <laughs> uh, Nicole says, sketty. 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 Uh, Penny <laughs> says, both are an affront to oh, toasties. There you go, harsh. Patricia says, baked beans. Alicia says, spaghetti. Baked beans are, and there's a puke emoji, Sue Hosking, Neither. Too messy, but I do like my spaghetti on toast, perhaps with a sneaky bit of bacon and some grated cheese. Yeah, you got to put some grated cheese on there, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, Lena says, baked beans all the way, tin spaghetti, OMG. As a proud Italian, this hurts. Mel, baked beans with cheese, yeah. And Wayne writes, and look, we did get an enormous amount on uh, on Twitter and on Facebook yeah. of, of responses, so uh, we Happen thank everyone in. for, uh, yeah, for doing thank that. thank you. Because uh, we have a little surprise just to finish the show mm. off. So here we go. Wayne says, okay, peeps. If this crap is on your menu, then I'll start you a GoFund page, <laughs> a GoFundMe page, and I'll make the first donation. Yeah. These dishes are only eaten by people who are two days out from payday <laughs> and are broke because they've had a massive weekend on the beers with their mates. I <laughs> ate a lot of these in my early 20s. Yeah. As such, I'm an expert on both of these toasties. The spag toasty <laughs> is the one to avoid here. It is way too wet for a toasty filling. Yeah. It'll squirt out as you bite it and hit you in the face <laughs> with a temperature equivalent to the middle of a McDonald's fillet of fish. <laughs> 
After the first bite, you'll look like a Battle of Britain pilot who was trapped in the burning Spitfire as a plunge towards the English Channel. Uh, anyway, I digress. Unless it is sogged up the bread, I'm not sure that sog yeah. is a verb. Uh, well, it, it should be. It should be. Unless it is sogged up the bread so bad that the casing lets go and the lava-like spag goo squirts <laughs> out like water from a Pope revolving sprinkler... <laughs> Then it's Russian roulette for where the burns will occur. <laughs> the baked bean toasty was always the best choice. It has a texture that mm. nearly kept doing the bread and the added benefit of the next day's farts in the communal lounge room were an added bonus. <laughs> but that advantage is gone these days and this is a really good point. I had baked beans for lunch, mm. not on a jaffle but on, on toast. This is Wayne's point here at the end. Modern baked beans seem to have a lot more liquid than what I remember. Oh. He's on to something. Do you reckon more liquid, less bean or fewer beans? Correct. Mm. That makes a baked bean toasty just as dangerous yeah. these days as the spag-filled toasty. He's right. They are, there's more liquid. Yes, there is. Just work harder so you can afford steak in your sandwich <laughs> yeah. and you won't have to make this choice. Very good point at the oh, end there, Oh, I know, more coffee Nobody's, quotes uh, he's there. Hit on, he's hit on the, there yeah. is far more liquid. And Do today, you think we're being dudded? Well, today, actually, I opened the tin and uh, it's it, the liquid sprayed mm. out onto, onto my hand. Yeah, it's he's right. It running. doesn't work if there's too much liquid and no. it's too soggy. They're not going to hold together properly. New, new, new. So I was used to, when I do uh, jaffles with the baked beans, I, mm. I, I spoon it, uh, not spoon it in, yeah. I put it in with a fork. So, so as you lose the... Fairly close, was it? Or? It was marginally, just marginally, would have been a 51.49 to baked beans. Ooh, just a head of spaghetti. Yep. Now, to finish off this week, I want to mention Cheeselinks once again. 52021984 is the telephone number. But I want to finish with a little memory. Uh, we've done, uh, what, upwards of 150 episodes yep, of this have. podcast. So there's a lot of people we've talked to over the years, and, and many you might not have been able to catch up with. So we're going to play just a tiny, weeny little snippet of one mm. of our favourites. Uh, and you did a, a blog on the uh, Food Bites page on Facebook. Yeah, on John Paul Young. Yeah. Oh gosh. Be still, my oh, beating heart. Stop oh, it. I love. I loved him then. I still love him now. And uh, look, he is celebrating fifty years in uh, the music business. And so he's actually hitting the road to do another tour. He's going to be performing. Well, he hopes he is. Yeah. Well, he's going to be. Pl- the plan is to perform all the yeah. greats that we remember. Uh, my favourite. You know, I hate the music, but also love is in the air and uh, talk about his memories about that song. So we thought we'd just uh, recapture what uh, he talked about when we had him on our show. A very good close friend of mine said to me when I recorded Lovers in the Air, he said, this is going to be the end of your career. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Gee whiz. Well, he was oh, off the mark. So it's lovely. Yeah, I've got one on him for the rest of his life. So Do you still like singing it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, good. Absolutely. I like singing everything. I really do. It's, um, you know, it's a hell of a way to, to have a life and to make a living. And I never, ever lose sight of the fact that when I was an apprentice, I used to have to get up at 6 o'clock every morning (laughs) and battle the traffic, and that a lot of people are still doing it. So I'm very grateful for the life I have. There you go, John Paul Young. Ah. Lovely memories. Uh, (laughs) And it'll be in your head now, even if you don't go and listen to the song. 
that song will be in your head now. It'll just be that little lovely modest bloke. And if you want to listen to a podcast with a bloke called Mark Opitz on one of the Life of Brian episodes, he talks about how they actually came up with that song, how Vander and Young came up with that song, how it started and how it finished. It's a really interesting story. But check out our old Facebook, sorry, Food Bites episodes on on where you found this particular podcast. Go back and have a listen to some of the old episodes with people like John Paul Young or Shane Jacobson or mm. William McGuinness or Leo Sayer or Maggie Beer, all the people we've had on. Oh, thousands. Well, well hundreds. hundreds. Well, dozens. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Find the things I put up with. 52821984. And I've been in lockdown four times with this woman. 52821984. That's lucky, the cheese lucky man. Yeah, lucky, lucky man. I'm going off to the old people's home. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Brought to you by Cheese Links. Bringing cheese and yoghurt making to your kitchen. All you need to know at cheeselinks.com.au.